Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing really, really well, Jody. I am doing well. I am excited because the NHL is just around the corner. And as you know, I'm a huge hockey nerd and leagues are starting up in my native Sweden and I am pumped. And <laughs> I'm assuming you're alive and not unwell? Yes. Very good. Yes, yes. Very good. So today's topic, yeah. we are talking about, in today's musical climate, it is, again, a lot more popular to do singles versus complete albums. So we thought that we would talk a little bit about that concept, why you would want to do one or the other, and importantly for engineers, I guess, like you and me, does that change our workflow or our process to kind of go about this? So I'll put you on the spot right off the bat. Mm. Single versus album answer it definitively for us right off the bat. <laughs> what, what's the question? I don't know what the question is yet. Do you have a preference when it comes to single versus album? Yes. Let's say in your music, you, okay, how do you treat it in, in your music? Singles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you have a mindset of eventually, you know, let's say collecting X number of singles and perhaps putting them on an album, or is that just a bridge that you don't cross anymore? It's a bridge that I left by the wayside, is a better way yeah. to say it. I have a couple of concepts in process that have been put on the back burner, is the best way to say it, such that they are thought of as albums, but I haven't worked on them in quite some time. If an artist came to me and wanted mm -hmm. to do an album, I would be happy to do it but it is not my driving goal anymore in terms of how I approach doing a mix or doing a recording for somebody or for myself yeah. for that matter. Okay, and, and why is that? Is that strictly sort of like a marketing decision or how music is generally consumed these days or, or what led you up to, to that way of thinking? It began as a marketing decision. Yeah. And it morphed into a quality issue decision. Hmm is a way that I would approach saying that. And the reason why I say it's a quality approach issue is that I believe too many times now people tend to shit music mm -hmm. is a good way of saying it. They put so much of it together so quick, so fast that they don't put appropriate effort into all of it okay. is the best way that I would look at that. It doesn't mean that somebody can't put an album together and really make it awesome. But in my experience... I noticed that when I started putting the same amount of time into one song that I used to put into, say, 10 songs, the quality of the song went way up. So you're talking about now from a writing standpoint, focusing on, on melodies and yes. possibly chord progressions, yes. and then through production and all this kind of stuff. You're focusing more on the details just to have assumingly a larger impact of that song as opposed to an older mindset perhaps of this is an album and there's going to be five fillers if you're lucky right <laughs> yeah, so because yeah. i mean that, that that's a very real thing you know people used to think 
that okay if you have like one hit song on on an album that's fantastic right a lot of people would love for that to happen but then if you have two or three but that means seven other tracks perhaps on that album were considered fillers or as we used to call them like album tracks right mm-hmm. that, that were not going to be super popular but have that sort of integrity of the band type of thing sure but i think this is you know it, it's very much dependent on musical style i think because the more popular i would say and i'm using that word very you know deliberately you are more concerned with having a larger impact of one track as yes. opposed to let's say a band that both you and i used to listen to a lot band like queensrike sure. if we take their album like operation mindcrime that yeah it had hit songs on it in the rock realm but that is very much a sort of work of art in that it needs to be taken in as an album because of the you know the storylines and all this kind of stuff so yes and if you want to bring that out as a methodology of where i would think of a difference between where i'd go with singles and an album that's a prime example and what I mean by that is, is when attending Berkeley College of Music, a group of us would get together in someone's dorm room, shut out all the lights, maybe light a candle, and we would put that album on and crank it and just sit in the dark to listen to that album. And yeah. that was something we did on a weekly basis. That was like one of our rituals of listening, so to speak. Because the album yeah. in that regard, that particular album, is really in a sense, almost perfection. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, no, it, it it is a monster album. And when did that, was that 87, 88, something like that when that came out? I think, yeah, it had obviously a huge impact of me as well when I came out. It was like, I was aware of the band before, but that that's an, a work of art that sort of, I wouldn't say stand the test of time, but if you listen to it now, it still holds up. You know, it's not like, oh, it sounds really, really dated and sure and that. But there's obviously a big difference there when we think of, of a concept album. But let's say you are in, you're an artist that does more pop-oriented stuff, or if you're an EDM artist or a hip-hop person or whatever style, that, that tends to be a little bit more song-oriented as opposed to an album thing. Uh-huh. I think today's climate really plays into your hands because you can put, you know, a lot of focus in on just one song and making that really have that ha- big impact as opposed to having to think about a cohesion of an album or sure. type of material. I don't so, I don't put it against people wanting to do albums. It's just No, of course not. In, no, it's in just, the grand scheme of how much music is now outlaid out there at this point, it's very difficult to write ten amazing songs to string together, I think, for most people. Yeah. Well, I think th- And the, I don't think that matters what genre that is. I think that's just in general. Because a great song really to me doesn't matter the genre. No. No, I, I'd agree with you with that, but I do think that still the the style is important in this because if you are a rock band, to me it's still, yeah, you have singles, but it's still an album-driven art form in a way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that every song has to be a work that stands on its own as a single, but I think that's why you still see like rock bands doing that where there is, we, that's just how that music is kind of consumed. It's not like most people are going to listen to the, oh, yeah, did you hear that new Inflames single? Yeah, but I'm not worried about 
the album. You know, no, you're waiting for the whole album type of thing. Sure. So in that case, I, I think I would very much say that it is style dependent, but it is. But the mindset could possibly be different as well. I think it's yeah. also artist dependent. Sure. When you're talking yeah. to an artist that you're about to record their album or you're about to mix their album, that goes back to the concept of good communication yeah. and knowing what they want in regards to whatever it is that they're doing. And my suggestion of saying stick to the singles rather than albums has more to do with just the plethora of stuff that's going on out there. Yeah. The idea of doing the whole marketing thing of like trying to market an album and hopefully sell it for years on end is almost insane at this point for most people. Yeah. Because <laughs> you get guys, I mean, when you get somebody that's of the stature of, say, a Paul McCartney, and they do all of this hype to do the album up from the style and the way that they used to do things, he's lucky to sell that thing for a couple of weeks. Yeah, to make no, a dent that, on anything. And that's yeah. a, you know, that's a massive artist. It's the same thing, maybe sort of like Taylor Swift, although she's so popular now with the streaming stuff that her re-recording all of her old music to kind of get a Taylor version of it, so to right. speak, is a different concept. And her fans are a bit more rabid and a little bit more today. Can it be done? Sure. Is everybody but, but capable also, of doing that? No. But that's a different or an interesting point as well, where you might consider the the level and the success of the artist also where if you are taylor swift or a paul mccartney not putting those two in the same category but but both very popular artists you can pretty much count on a certain number of people purchasing your album now of course that brings up another point today where we're dealing with primarily streaming as how we consume music you're not going to recoup you know, from an album sales in the same way as you were before. So you're perhaps more dependent on other revenue streams when it comes to that. Now, Paul McCartney is probably not worried about that. And at this point, probably neither is Taylor Swift. But if you're a newer artist, that, that's something they that have to kind of consider as well. So you might get more mileage out of one or two songs as opposed to an album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so that that style and sort of like the depend or the goal where you might have as an artist to kind of go into that. What about from mix engineering or recording engineering? Do, does your approach change if you're approaching a single or an album? From a recording engineering standpoint, no. You're going to have a discussion with the artist and figure out what they're looking to do. And that doesn't really change whether you're doing a single or a whole album. Obviously, I understand the concept from a recording standpoint, when you're going to go and pay somebody money to go sit in their studio and do stuff, you want to make that as cost effective as possible. And thus recording more than one song at a time becomes more cost effective. I get that. Mm -hmm. I, the same could hold true for mixing as well, especially if everything's recorded at the same point in time, so to speak, rather than multiple studios over a longer period of time where from a mixing engineer standpoint, that becomes more difficult because now you have all these different elements or each song may have been recorded in different spots kind of thing. And it becomes a little bit more difficult to get cohesion between all of them. Yeah. At that point, if it's a collection of songs, 
Yeah, I agree. If they're all really awesome songs, record them all at once. Try to get them mixed all at once because it makes it easier on the people involved. We're getting into a little bit of a subject here that we'll touch on later. But when it comes from the recording aspects, it does affect how I would approach it because for me, if I know that I'm going to tackle more than one song for a certain project, it's going to change my workflow from a recording standpoint in that I'm going to want to record all the basic tracks at one time. Let's say it's just five songs. I'm going to focus on getting foundation, the drums and everything done with the same miking in the same studio, all of those things as close as possible. Sure, but let me throw this wrench into that situation. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's how strongly I feel about it. Yeah, All right. No, okay, no, go ahead. I honestly think that it has a lot to do with how each song has to be approached. Even if it's a full album, I get, you know, you want to set up your drums, you want to mic them all up and leave them set and leave it for the duration of the album or whatever the collection of songs might be. However, I believe songs are benefited by tackling the correct sound for each song. And for what might work on a ballad might not work on an up-tempo number. Oh, sure. You know sure. what I'm getting at there? Right, yeah, so yeah. No, I, I, each I'm song is, should with start that. to dictate what it actually needs. And I get that you're trying to reduce cost and you're trying to reduce effort in getting a collection of things done. But the reality is, if you're really going after the song itself, each song has to dictate what it needs. I would agree with that, but that is also kind of brushing up against, in my opinion, the, the style of this. Sure. Right? What, what are we doing? If we are going to have a, let's say, more of a traditional setup, drums, bass, keyboards, guitars, what have you, there is going to be more cohesion as a whole, regardless of the style of that drum track, let's say, mm -hmm. if there is a ballad or not than it is to, okay, we're going to track all the drums today and then we're going to do bass on that track and then we're going to add some guitars and then we're going to start all over again do drums on the next song. So that's sort of like that, that decision that you have to make and I think that's where obviously, you know, conversation with the artist initially, you have to talk about these things. What, what is the goal and what are we doing? And of course, you'd be armed with all this knowledge going in that, sure. oh, we're, we're, yeah, we're going to do three rock songs and we're going to do an EDM track and then we're going to do a, <laughs> a lo-fi trap hip hop thing. Mm -hmm. that, well, that, that's pretty eclectic. <laughs> sure. No, it's so, very eclectic. I get it. Right. But, but I get what you're saying in you know, if you're focusing on one single, you are going to let whatever is absolutely appropriate for that at the tracking stage, you're going to want to deal with those things. Mm -hmm. Well, there's it's another way. It's almost like we're sending that this is content dependent. But <laughs> <laughs> Take a drink. So, so yeah, cheers. The idea that I'm also getting across here is that, that it has a bit to do with workflow of the yeah. band itself and how things want to be recorded in sounding based on those conversations. Some bands are great. You can line them up and have everybody playing at the same time. They can lay it down. Everything's good. And you don't have to worry about it. That kind of thing. That makes it easier yeah. to do everything at once. Some bands can't do that. And in that regard, you might track drums first. And if you're doing more than one song, you might track 
all the drum tracks at first for one song. Yeah. And I've worked that way. I've done that. So if you have 10 or 15 or 12 songs, whatever it is, and you, you lay down the foundation, lay down all the yeah. drums first, and you know, well. maybe you have somebody playing along with the drummer or he's playing to a click track and really knows his shit and he can just lay it down. That's what I'm talking about if you're doing yeah. it that way. And yes, I have worked that way. That's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Another way to do it is obviously as everybody knows their shit, they can play all together all at once. You track all the tracks at once and you might be able to knock out two or three songs in a day, depending yeah. on how many overdubs or any other things that need to happen. Another it comes kink, down to a it, workflow. It, yeah. And another concept to, to think about here is obviously in today's environment where it is relatively rare that everybody goes into the studio and tracks as a band at once where you know, you might have, like we had recently on our, our good friend, Chris Alice. Yes. Who frequently does his drum tracking at home in his studio. Mm-hmm. So you get that aspect of it as well. It's like where you might, you know, have, okay, well, here's my drummer of choice. I'm going to send Chris three or four tracks to lay down, right? And sometimes you even have basic tracks you know, for him to to record too as well, right? Whether those are the actual tracks or scratch tracks. So again, there, it's uh, another workflow thing to kind of keep in mind. Sure. You know, I guess it's, it's a luxury thing to have everybody in the same room. It can be. Or, or torture, <laughs> depending on <laughs> who it is, right? Sure. Uh, so I would say for cohesion, I like to have as much recorded in a very, very similar situation, providing, of course, that that's what the project calls for, calls for cohesion. They're, they're meant to sound together. Yes. You know, do you think, you kind of touched on this, but do you think not doing it all at once can allow for more experimentation when it comes to, to sort of maximizing the impact of the song? No, no, I don't think it matters. I think that has, again, a lot to do with how you're going to work with the artist or if you are the artist, how you're going to work with your recording and mixing engineer. Some bands will get or some artists will get into the studio and realize maybe, oh, shit, this isn't working. We need to do something else. And I have spoken with other engineers that have been like, well, we can just keep right on going down this road. (laughs) And yeah. We'll see what happens. Even you know, as you mentioned, Christopher Alice, he has mentioned it too. It's like, yeah, go I'm with game, a plan first. Right? Yeah. yeah, I'm game to do what you want to try, but why don't we do the plan first? Yeah, and I don't think that matters whether it's a single song or an album because right. you get into a situation where you're recording your songs, and that's where the experimentations might start to happen. And it's not going to be on every song all at once because you can't record every song all at once. In terms of like, I'm recording 10 songs today and you've got 10 different bands set up to all record them all at the same time in 10 studios. Well, then you're recording everything at the same time. Sure. However, the idea of let's try this, let's try that kind of thing. I go with Christopher Alice's thing where you have to do that after the plan has been done. And in moments where I've done that, try switching out a snare drum. Try changing the tuning of a particular thing or shifting something in terms of where a mic is to get a slightly different sound. Or maybe if it's a guitar amp and we're miking it up, run a freaking poster tube on one end at the mic and then have that poster tube set up to run sound directly from the amp into the poster tube. And you're going to get a real interesting sound out of that. That's experimental. Is it something you're going to do every day? Probably not because it's really weird, but it can be done. 
Yeah. No, I was thinking more in perhaps not from the recording end of it. I mm -hmm. was thinking more perhaps from an instrumentation or at the mixing stage where you might think that, well, you know what? Maybe it's really cool for this one if we add a didgeridoo to it. Sure. Or we're going to have a certain effect on the BVs or whatever happens to be, where if you're concerned about you know, a cohesive vision or sound of an album where you might think, oh, that, that's going to be out of sorts here or might have a really weird vocal effect on a certain track. Mm -hmm. But if you're just dealing with a single, you might be less concerned with that because it's not, it's just going to be a cool effect. It's not going to rub against different tracks in the sound type of a thing. So that was my, my thought of that, if you would be more akin to experiment at, uh, with the song as far as like, either if it's layering, different synths, whatever. I'm with you in, when it comes to like the foundation, yeah, go game plan first and then experiment with the poster tube. Sure, I get that kind of spice. Now, let's take a word from our sponsors. All right, what's next, Chris? What are we talking about now? Well, we hinted at this, or you hinted at this a little bit earlier, and that is for budgeting. Yes. Whether the budget is a monetary one or a time allotted one, mm -hmm. there are things that we want to take into consideration. And what you hear quite frequently, this is especially with newer bands or artists, I think, where they have frequently a limited budget and they want to maximize that. And they think, okay, well, I'm, we want to go in, we have X amount of dollars, we want to track 10 songs in a day. And ideally, if we can have a rough mix of every song at the end of the day, but we can't go over our budget. <laughs> that, There's my answer right there. <laughs> right. No, I mean, you've heard that, but, but that's, but also as, you know, perhaps a younger artist, you might not realize what it takes to do the job that you're asking mm -hmm. this poor recording person to do. Yes. So both you are, you and I are fans of let's take a step back. And I know you have fairly recently as well worked with an artist where you said, look, okay, if this is your budget, let's really, really maximize this one song. Mm -hmm. Forget about this being an EP or an album. We're going to make one kick-ass song. And then once you're done with that, you're going to perhaps put some away of your budget for marketing or anything like that. That, that would behoove you better use of your money and you're going to get more impact. Yeah. That's kind of like your mindset at this point, right? It is. And part of that stems from the fact that if you look at it from whether or not it's an independent artist standpoint or a artist that has some sort of label backing or record deal. Mm which is kind of a weird concept in this day and age to call it a record deal. Yeah. <laughs> records aren't Here, Here's really a million the... albums, go make an, here's a million dollars, go make an album. Right. So. Yeah. That used to happen. <laughs> it did used to happen. Yeah. The idea that I was getting at with this is with an independent artist, they might have some sort of a budget. Let's say that they put together 10 grand or 20 mm -hmm. grand or even 30 grand. That's a pretty good chunk of change. More often than not, about 90 to 95% of that budget is going to the recording of all of those songs. And that's not a bad thing. Chances are the songs are going to sound pretty damn good. And hopefully the songwriting makes them really amazing songs. The problem is, is now you have 5 or 10% left on your budget to try and market the damn thing. 
Yeah. And so when people you look, know that your song actually exists. Or your album for that matter. Yeah. That is very, very, very bass backwards is a term that could be used for saying that. Where when you look at a major label record or a big indie record, most of the time, the vast majority of the budget is not in the recording. It's actually in the marketing. Yeah. So are indies getting it backwards? Maybe. But if you want to compete against, say, the major label, which isn't necessarily something you have to do, you already know that their budget for recording an album is going to be beyond 30 grand. Sure. Just for, you know, if the label's really got some kind of interest in the artist. But it's usually about 10% is my guess of the budget is the recording when you're a major label artist compared to the marketing end of things where the marketing side's probably getting 80 to 90% of the budget that is put up for the recording. Yeah. And I mean, that that's in today's world, that's sort of what's missing from a lot of artists, I think, that where it can be very popular to sort of bag on the old way of doing business, if you will. Mm -hmm. But what you wanted from that when you were on a Geffen or an Atlantic or whatever it was, like a major label, you wanted that label behind you for the marketing push. So while sort of the democratization, if you will, where everybody can record or at least have the tools to record a good sounding product, what everybody is, is missing a lot of times is the marketing mm -hmm. from somewhere. And I think as independent artists, it's very easy to just ignore that or even be ignorant about it, you know? Well, and it is a reality. You know? Yeah, part of that reality is, is that thinking that just social media posts are going to cause you to blow up big is a pipe dream. Yeah. Does it happen? Yeah, one in a billion or something of that nature. It's very rare for an artist to be able to just post something to Instagram or to TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or whatever service it is and suddenly have it just explode onto the global market. It doesn't happen that way. Even Billie Eilish, who's probably one of the last of the global artists, I think, she was marketed for years ahead of time. Yeah, it, it, yeah. The, the marketing is, is un, one of those. I hesitate to use the word unfortunate, but it is. It is a part of the business. You mm -hmm. know, you you need to have somebody else, or if you're not good at it, you need to have somebody else do that for you. Yes, and you need a budget for that. Right. I remember on a related note, I remember reading a quote from Peter Gabriel. Uh, he's obviously Peter Gabriel, so he can do whatever he wants. Right? <laughs> But he said that when asked about the marketability of his music, mm -hmm. he said that, well, that's not my job. That's somebody else's job. My job is just to produce the best music I can do, and it's somebody else's job to find the market for that. Sure. Now, I think that's true. I think that is true. And you could argue with, you mentioned a while back here, the indie artist as mm -hmm. compared to a major, where it could be a different mindset. It's like you may not have the gold to completely blow up, but I think if everybody was really honest with themselves, they would agree that, well, I'd like as many people as possible to hear my music and ideally have some kind of reaction to it. If you're an indie artist, that might mean less streaming listens perhaps, but you might you know, sell CDs or downloads or whatever at your gigs and you have more of a live following type of thing. Uh -huh. That's very valid. But that goes back to, again, the, the style thing and what it is that you're doing. But you need to, to budget in for that. 
yes. as well. So, so essentially, uh, the idea of how does it change your approach, whether you're thinking single or album, I would posit that if you're thinking singles, I would almost say that do at least three mm-hmm. at a time, yeah, or at least three in succession before you even start releasing the music. And the reason for yeah. that is, is that you can give each single a good two months worth of your own effort if you don't have a budget to market and spending that time and then see what's working, see what's not working, and then move on to the next single and then apply what you just learned. And this yeah. goes more to a marketing approach than a whole engineering and re- mixing perspective. But to cap it off without thinking of the marketing, from a mix engineer standpoint, if I'm rec- mixing an album... My thought process is if everything is fairly cohesive and the artist has a certain vision and I'm looking at it and he's not trying to go per song, he or she is attempting to go via the album. I'm going to create a template off that first song and then I'm going to use that template to be my starting point for the rest of the songs. You're talking Whereas about for mixing a single, I'm template. going to approach right. it from the standpoint of like each song has to stand on its own merit and I would let that song dictate what sounds it needs to have. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. So when it comes to like setting up your mix template, mm-hmm. like you've described in the past, that you would frequently take the most elaborate song, shall we say? Yeah. And start with that, if possible in this case, right? But start mm-hmm. with that and then that's your 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 template for the rest of it. So that way you you have a decent starting point when it comes to foundation of drums and bass or what have you, as well as everything else. But uh, when you're, again, single, you can probably do away a little bit with that and just kind of let everyone stand on your own. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, to an extent. Very good. Yeah. All right. right. Well, with that, why don't we move on to our Friday finds? What do you got for us, Chris? I discovered something this week that I thought was actually kind of cool. Everybody's got an 1176 or an LA-2A and trying to recreate the best version of that there is. But I saw something from a French company called Pulsar Audio. They have what they call an 1178. Mm. Get it? It's It's two better. (laughs) Yeah, it's two more, isn't it? So Nigel Tufnell approved. No, but it is all the characteristics of an 1176, but it's got more belts and whistles on it. It has different saturation aspects of it. It has a sidechain, an internal sidechain. It can do external sidechain. It has mid-side compression, and also in stereo. I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, well, that's, you know, doing a a classic, but kind of adding some elements to it as well that I think can be useful as well. Because I think sometimes people might complain that there is no sidechain input on most 1176s, that kind of thing. So if that's something that you're looking for, the 1178 from Pulsar Audio might be right up your alley. Bingo. What about what about you, buddy? What do you got? I'm looking at a guitar this week. Yeah. Kind of a mind-blowing guitar, and it's built by a company called ROR Guitars, mm-hmm. which stands for Rob O'Reilly, and they are out of Ireland. Cool. Yes, this is called the Expressive MIDI Pro 2. Mm, You sent me a video of this. This was cool. It is. It's a very, very complex guitar, so to speak. It comes with an XY pad in it, 
It comes with a joystick. It comes with multiple knobs, pickup selection switches, even screens that are on the top shoehorn of the guitar that looks at you. It can do- As you want it yes, to do. Yes, right? as you want, yes. So <laughs> not only does it sound like a normal electric guitar, but it also has two ways of getting MIDI data out of it. One is the standard MIDI cable and two is the USB cable. And that allows you to use it as a MIDI guitar that has extremely low latency. On top of that, it's got something with the way they build the frets that it knows exactly what fret and what string you are on and how you are doing it that allows it to do real smooth bends and know how to transfer all of this data to MIDI so you can trigger all kinds of things. It's That's cool. unreal. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. That <laughs> reminded I, me a bit, when, when you sent me that video, reminded me of uh, Matt Bellamy Amuse. Yeah, well, of course. That sort of XY, yeah. Added that chaos pad to the back end of his guitar to be able to right. do certain things via MIDI from standing on stage with wherever he's at. This just takes that beyond. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's, man, yes. I'm still struggling with guitar. I can't keep up with all that. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So it looks really interesting. They're about three grand euro, 3,000 euro. Yeah. And it takes about 12 months. You order it and 12 months They're made later, to order? Get, yeah, they're made saying, to yeah. order kind of thing. Wow. The uh, Rob O'Reilly guitars, that's kind of pretty badass shit right there. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we've got your attention. We would like to ask you to go to our website and sign up for our email list at insidetherecordingstudio.com. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And on top of that, when we run contests to give stuff away, you're automatically entered in the drawing to win. If you send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the phrase single versus album, you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page on our website, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.